It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, joined by Mr. Triple Double himself, my co-host, Connor Morissette. Connor, how are we doing? How, how were your holidays? I'm doing well. The holidays were great. Great to be with you, Shotgun. We've had a bit of a hiatus with the holidays, so I'm excited to be back, and we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we, we got a ton of games. Uh, it's been about three weeks, I think, since uh, the last time we pod, uh, because you know, I was traveling to go to Auburn, Alabama State. We couldn't really work out things there because you were traveling at the same time to go back to the East Coast. And I had my dad come with me back to New Jersey. So we had family time and stuff. Um, plus, you know, there was this football game in the middle that, you know, kind of changed the trajectory of what the offseason may be for USC football. So a lot of a lot of work went into, you know, stuff coming from that game versus the basketball teams because uh, the men's team is struggling right now for sure. And uh, a lot of hype with the women's Team and we just unfortunately didn't have the the opportunity to connect last week and get a get a guest on. Uh, we're not gonna have a guest this week because we want to get caught up on all this. We've had three women's games, five men's games since we last were able to chat about what is going on, and you could say the trajectory of the season has as you know maybe I don't know if you want to say it's altered, uh, but it is definitely you feel like it is much more in place of where the season is heading for both of these teams, actually, after you know what USC was able to do on the men's side and the women's side in the last couple weeks since we've been on the podcast. So let's jump into it. Let's start with just listing off the games that did take place. Um, you know, start with the women. They played three times since we last were able to podcast. Uh, they played Cal State Fullerton on December 18th, blew them out, 93-44. Then they went to Long Beach State, first true road game of the season, on December 21st, and they won that game 85-77. Had to fight through some, you know, some difficulties with not having three starters in the lineup, including Juju Watkins, a final way to win. And then the big one, they go to UCLA on last Saturday, and uh, they lost 71-64, back and forth game for much of that one. Two poor stretches the beginning each half for USC shooting the ball really hurt him in that one. Uh, we'll discuss that one definitely a lot more in a little bit. On the men's side, the men have had five games. They've gone two and three in that mix, four road games. They went on this road swing. We said, I think we'll learn about a lot about them. We'll see what happens with them. We'll see if they, you know, they could turn things around. 
Not necessarily the case. They go to Auburn and get blown out 91-75. They go to Alabama State and win there. They take care of business. Even though it wasn't necessarily comfortable the entire second half, they didn't run away with it like the women's team has been able to do against lesser opponents, like they, you know, beating teams up by 40 and 50 points. But USC does get a 20-point win there. And then they come back after Christmas. They have a few days off. They get back to work starting on Christmas Day. Then they go to Oregon. On December 28th, they lose 82-74 against a shorthanded Oregon team. Then they go to Oregon State and get blown out by the Beavers, 86-70. to uh, You know, those just resume killers for you there. And they come back home, finally get back home, finally, uh, yesterday on the Wednesday uh, of this week, and they beat Cal 82-74. But even then, they make things harder than they have to be on themselves, you know, and you, you think, okay, maybe they turn a quarter, maybe you get them back home, but they run into some difficulties down the stretch and Cal tightens it up before USC does find a way to win eight games, Connor, which one stood out to you the most from each side? Well, for the women, we have to start with the UCLA game. And I think we'll get into it with a triple double Mackenzie Forbes played well against UCLA, even though USC lost that game. And Juju, of course, had her shooting struggles, but she was the leading scorer. And then the women, the whole year shotgun we've been talking about, when the going gets a little tougher, what's the depth going to look like? And it just wasn't there scoring the basketball. UCL or USC, excuse me, played really good defense in that game. And I think if you play defense at that level, you'll be in games against pretty much just about everyone in the country. So that was encouraging. That game was the most significant for me. And then for the men, I mean, the biggest one, I, I I feel like maybe Oregon State, just because that's a game, you lose that disappointing game to Oregon where you have a better second half, but the first half you kind of played yourself out of that one. So they got back into it a little bit, and maybe you hope that even though you didn't win the game against Oregon, you'd have some momentum from that second half and you take it to Oregon State, and then that just didn't happen. And it was nice that the team bounced back against Cal, but that Oregon State game, that that showed me – something about this team just sort of reinforce what we knew is it's not as good as it should be. And the team is in a tough spot. So we'll see what happens against Stanford, but I mean, seven and seven, they're kind of running out of chances here. A few more losses. They're for sure out of the tournament. And I think obviously the odds are stacked against them to make the tournament right now. That Oregon state game to me really opened my eyes. Okay. They probably really are in trouble here. Yeah. I I mean, that really showed it against Auburn. I think Auburn's a really good team, um, you you know, and seeing them and then going to Oregon. uh, The thing is Oregon, Oregon state, Oregon state, even more Gil Coliseum has been a house of horrors for USC over the years against teams. They should beat. They're either in a close game or they lose. And, but this one wasn't even close. A lot of times, I mean, most of those games has been pretty tight games. And even when they fall in behind against Oregon state in the past, they would rally and then, You'd be like, okay, are they going to be able to make it all the way back or whatnot? This one, there was just no rally. They just got blown out in this game. Um, and it, the theme has been pretty similar throughout the season. They, just, they don't play defense. You don't play enough defense and teams shoot 50% against you, then you're not going to win many games even when you're shooting well. So I, I think it's the, the common refrain for USC over and over has been that, and the Oregon State game was really telling of that, I think. And on the women's side, I actually think – I was more impressed and thought it was more important that Long Beach State win. First two road game, and to have some you know adversity where Juju's not playing, Rhea Marshall's not playing, uh, Kristen Davis or Caitlin Davis is not pay- playing. So three starters not playing in the game, and you prove 
all right, we can still win. Now, it wasn't the prettiest. It won by eight. That's a team they probably could win by double digits, you know, pretty handily most of the time with a full roster, but they found a way to get it done and did it without Juju. So it's not just the Juju show. Mackenzie Forbes went off in that game. What she have? Uh, she was the Pac-12 player of the week because she had 36 points in that game. You know, they didn't have some players and other people stepped up. Now, they didn't necessarily as much in that, that UCLA game. I think they learned a lot from the UCLA game. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But I was really impressed by them going to Long Beach State when hearing the players that were going to be out and you go, okay, we'll see how this goes because uh, Long Beach State's not a terrible team. I don't think that they're great necessarily, but to go in there and get a win on the road, true road road experience, and playing in the pyramid, which is a unique venue, which we talked about last time. Uh, you know, they were able to get the win and, and took care of business. So, and that's what that's what good teams do, and that's the difference between the men and the women right now. The women take care of business; the men don't. Now, you play a top five team, you play a top five matchup, you may lose a game, but when they play a, a, a team that's lesser than them, they dominate them. And when they play the teams that are similar to them, they have been able to win those games outside of the UCLA game. And they were right in that one. And that's something, like I said, that is a learning experience. I think that they'll they'll grow from that one. So the men's team, though, it doesn't seem like they take the lessons. They haven't been able to figure it out. They haven't been able to put it together. And, uh, you know, that's the big difference between those two teams. Defensively for the men, you, you mentioned it. I mean, just look at some of these scores. The Long Beach State game went into overtime. But even before that, 89 against Gonzaga, 84 allowed against Long Beach State, 91 Auburn, Oregon's up in the 80s, 82 Oregon State, 86, even Cal got to 74, and they're not a very good offensive team. That's been the big issue. You look at the schedule for the men all the way back to the Kansas State game, and in in these games that they've won, it's been USC's led the whole way, and maybe the team gets into the game, the opponent at the end, and, and they hold on for dear life. But in the losses, they're either getting blown out or, or they're not making those plays at the end. and They're not weathering the storm. So they haven't really had a comeback win all year. And that's the sign, I, I think, of a good team. If you don't play well, you overcome that and you're able to get a victory. So the, the defense has been a big problem. And I see people hammering Andy Edfield. And I'm sure he deserves some criticism for sure for how this year's unfolded. But historically, his teams defensively have been pretty solid. And now this is the one outlier. So... For whatever reason, the message from infield and the staff hasn't gotten through to them so far this year, and and that's been a big problem. And I think on the women's side, it's the exact opposite. Like you said, Shotgun, they've battled some adversity, and they've been a lot better for it. And it's a team you're excited to watch. They they make good plays. They put a smile on your face. The men, they don't always do that. <laughs> uh, you talked about some of the, the numbers they've given up. Like, you go to Auburn, you score 75 points, you should be in that game. Now you may lose 78 to 75 or you may win 75 to 72, but like that should be a pretty tight game, but you go 91 points. You're, you're not giving yourself a chance. And that's been the case in these games. You go to Oregon, you can't win on the road, giving up more than 80 points. It's, n- it's just not going to happen. USC's not Gonzaga and they're not playing at that tempo that the Gonzaga teams of the last, you know, four or five years have played with where they really push the tempo. So their games end up being, you know, it's a 95 to 88 game and that they're comfortable with that. USC's not playing at that tempo. Now, maybe they should push the ball more. And that's something we can discuss if you want, but you know, and it's hard to do that when you're turning the ball over as much as they do. But it seems like that's when they're playing at their best as well on the offensive end as far as getting open shots and creating for others is when they're pushing the tempo a little bit more. So maybe that's something they should lean into a little bit more. But again, like it's it's 
damage you do, damage you don't, because when you push the tempo and you miss a shot, suddenly now you're not getting back on defense and your guys are tired or whatever. Like the, the, it all comes back to them not playing enough defense. And I think it's, they're not together. Like you watch them and it's one, it's, it's individual defense. It's not good enough. You know, they have, they're, their defenders are on the hip of, uh, you know, the, their the opponents are driving and getting to the hip of, of the defender almost every time when they want to. And then someone has to step up and then there's the weak side rebound, all that type of stuff, but they're just not playing connected to where, okay, Josh Morgan steps up to try to block a shot. Does someone rotate back or is that guy w- and put a body on somebody or is that guy wide open when there is a miss and now there's an offensive rebound and USC struggles with that. So like those, the connectivity of this team for whatever reason just hasn't been found. And like, it's, I think it's even more disappointing and I'm sure that you can look back at all the factors from Bronny's incident and then not being able to practice before going on the overseas trip and all the guys have been out leading up into the season in their fall camp and stuff like that has all contributed to that for sure. But it's more disappointing when you do go on that overseas trip because those are usually the teams that bond. You bond on those trips and suddenly you're connected more. Everyone gets along. You do that little extra thing. You know, same thing we've talked about with the football team and what's been so what's so surprising about this year's team after last year's team was able to come together football so quickly with so many transfers. And this year's team never really found that chemistry, that camaraderie that last year's team did. And then suddenly it was there in the bowl game. You know, what will what's it gonna take for the men's basketball team to suddenly have that chemistry? That's uh, that's the only silver lining to me is like it's still potential. Like they could run off 10 games and you wouldn't you wouldn't go, oh my god, there's no way. You're like, oh, they finally played their potential. So I I, I don't know. It's there's a, a lot there for you to digest, but I mean it just it's it's a it's a frustrating team to watch because you you can see the potential and you see the talent and it feels like it's being wasted. As to the why, I wonder if it's just a lot of guys who are only going to be here for this year, Boogie Ellis is last year. Isaiah Collier is probably a one and done. DJ Rodman, one more year. Kobe Johnson could be gone. Josh Morgan last year. And a lot of those guys have been great Trojans, so I don't mean to drag them. But it's just like when stuff starts to go poorly and a guy like Isaiah Collier is like, okay, I'm going to be a first-round NBA draft pick, even if I slide a little bit. What's happening right now, it's not great for the team, but if maybe I can go out and still showcase my game and – I don't want to say he's being selfish, but that's sort of starts to creep in a little bit. It's you face some adversity. You you don't really care about the long-term future. You're there for yourself a little bit. So I I just wonder if that's played into it. And I've talked to a few people around the team. It's, it's like they've had a really tough time coming together. And when the coaching staff has gotten really angry with them, it hasn't been like, okay, we're motivated now. It's kind of, they've sort of been turned off by it a little bit. And I've been told the, some guys are like, okay, you know, we're, we're a little too cool for school sometimes. We Maybe we don't need to do exactly what, what the coaches want. And I, I think that's played into it. And I'm not writing them off. I'm not trying to say they're, they're not going to do anything. They could turn it around. They do have a lot of talent. But as to the why, shotgun, for why it hasn't come together, I do think a lot of these guys having a really short shelf life this season at USC, that's played a factor. And looking to the future, you know, if, if Isaiah Collier is going to be a four-year guy, then – Okay, you learn, you fight through the adversity this year and you figure something out and then it benefits you in the long run. Whereas if they don't figure something out, he's going to go to the NBA and 
it'll be a frustrating college experience for him. But in the long run, it really doesn't matter what happens too much this year. He's either going to make it as a pro or not. And one year at USC, I don't know how big of an impact that's going to have on his professional career. Yeah, but that can have a big impact on USC going forward as far as recruiting. If you're trying to get one done guys, you know, if you, you're those high end guys, do they see USC as a destination? They see, hey, I can come in and be like Evan Mobley and help lead this team to an Elite Eight and look how much better he was able to progress throughout his season. Anyeka Kongwu, you know, being in the top, both those guys being top 10 and a top five pick for Evan Mobley. Or they look at it and say, yeah, what happened with Kevin Porter? And what happened with Isaiah Collier where they came in and the teams just didn't do well? And that's that's always kind of the the give and take of taking one and done guys and those high end guys where you, you know, even if they're not fully ready, you got to get them on the court. You know, you got to get them as much playing time as possible so they can help develop. But you're also going to go through a lot of growing pains that you may not see the full benefits from in the future um, with someone like Isaiah Collier or Kevin Porter, um, where you want to get them out there and you know they're going to make some mistakes, but those mistakes that they make now are going to benefit them next year or the next year, and how much is that going to benefit your program? And that's always the challenge there. And you look at someone um, you know, like Ben Simmons, goes to LSU, number one uh, pick coming out, didn't help LSU do anything. And then you didn't see the full trajectory of his career. And Markel Fultz is another one where, you know, first number one overall picks that did, their teams didn't do really well in, in college. And then they haven't really had that much success in, in the pros as well in the same, the, they haven't lived up to the full potential of what they could. Ben Simmons has had some success, but also obviously some big failures. So for Isaiah Collier's sake, you hope all right, he starts leaning into it. And we saw some, some positive glimpses the last couple of games as well. So hopefully he's turning the corner a little bit. Um, the shooting hasn't been great least recently. So that's a little bit of concern because that's, that was the concern coming in. So we'll see, you know, as he continues to progress, how the team rallies around him. I will say, and we can go ahead and jump into our triple double if you want. And this is one of my triples is that I thought against Cal was the best they've looked offensively all season. As far as they put up more points in a couple other games, but they shared the ball so well. They made the extra pass when they didn't have to. You know, there was a time when DJ Rodman had a wide open three at the top, and he passed Isaiah Collier for another three. And Isaiah Collier's struggle shooting, but he was willing to give him that shot. And instead of shooting over someone, kind of flying out on him. And it was an open look for DJ Rodman. He could have taken it. He shot, I think, 50% in the game yesterday. So maybe he should have taken that shot. But that was consistent theme in that game is they shared the ball really well. And I think that's a big positive sign that if they can do it on offense, maybe it starts to bleed towards the defensive side of they start sharing the responsibilities a little bit more. Um, I, I don't know that that was my first uh, my first positive on the triple double there for the men. I thought that, you know, they, they definitely played much better offensively in that game uh, against Cal yesterday. Um, and what did they shoot? Uh, 53% from it. So I think that shows you, you know, and, and, you know, when Kobe Johnson makes some knocks down some shots, that makes it a lot easier too. Uh, but they definitely shared the ball more. 20 was the season high, 29 assists. The previous season had been 24. Besides that, that was against Eastern Washington, who's a terrible team. Besides that, I think it was 18 or 19 the rest of the season. Maybe there was one other 20, 20 or 21 in there. Um, but, the, you know, it had not been consistent, them sharing the ball like that. It had been a lot of one-on-one stuff. ISO, Boogie Ellis, Isaiah Collier driving the basket, those type of things. Yesterday, the ball moved so much better. And if they can keep that up, 
that lends itself to them, even if it's track meets, they'll at least be in the games. You know, they only scored 70 points at, at Oregon State. If they scored 82, like they did against Cal, it's a track meet. It's 86-82, but they're right there in the game at the end. So, you know, if they share the ball like that, I think they'll get the open shots and be able to make more of them. So that was a, definitely a positive for me. To your point, too, there were no – or there were maybe a few, but, like, the glaring turnovers against Oregon State where it's, like, putting your head to your forehead or your hand to your forehead, like, what is going on here? That There were <laughs> way fewer of those against Cal than there were against Oregon State, and I, I think that sort of lends itself to what you're saying, the – the assists, just the good offensive basketball. When you're not making a lot of mistakes like the team did against Oregon State, the team is really talented and they, they can score the basketball and, and do a lot of good things. My, my first one for the men, and do you want to just dive into the men triple doubles right now? Yeah, we'll jump into it. Got to be Bronny James for the 15 points against Oregon State, really the lone bright spot in that game, a, a really tough performance for USC. And then last night he ends the game with two free throws in the first half. I just felt like whenever he came in, good things happened. He had a couple turnovers in the second half, but uh, I thought the highlight of the game was the Isaiah Collier alley-oop to, to Bronny James. He's fit in really well. And he was a guy who, even before the heart thing, I was wondering how is he going to fit in all the pressure, making that jump from Sierra Kane into USC, just what's the fit going to look like? And he has this massive obstacle that he has to overcome in the heart thing. Now he's back. He's coming into a team that's underachieving. Didn't really seem like a great situation for him. And all of a sudden, he's one of the bright spots on a team that is struggling a little bit. So I got to start with him for my good. I thought he was great against Oregon State and seems like slowly but surely he's making really good strides. Yeah, I mean, he he played 18 minutes against Cal, four of six from the field, you know, got 10 points. So back-to-back double-digit games. He's shooting 50% on the season. Like he doesn't take a ton of shots. And, you know, his three-point shooting is he's only shooting 31% right now, but you'd expect that to go up as he gets a little bit more comfortable. So, you know, when he takes shots, they're good shots. They're uh, shots at the rim. Uh, he's making his free throws outside of the one that he, I'm sure he wishes he had back against Long, Long Beach State. Uh, but he, other than that, he's seven of eight the rest of, the, of his season. You know, he's only he hasn't played more than 20 minutes. Um, I was told at Auburn that he would be bumped up from 16 to 20. He only played 14 in that game because Oziah Sellers was playing really well. And since then, he hasn't gone above 20. So we'll see if, if they start relying on him anymore and, or if they feel like that's probably the, the comfort zone for him. About 20 minutes, about 10 minutes per half, you know, a two five-minute segments somewhere in there in each half to give Isaiah Collier, Boogie Ellis, um, and Kobe Johnson a rest. You notice in that Cal game, we didn't see much of Oziah Sellers. You know, the, the rotations definitely shrunk in that Cal game versus what they had been the rest of the season. We didn't see Arrington Page. We didn't see Kajani Wright. And Isaiah Sellers only played a few minutes in that game. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be Brian James is going to be the fourth guard. And, you know, he's the guy closing out games too because they don't want Isaiah Collier out there if he can't make his free throws or if he's going to turn the ball over or if he's not going to play defense in particular. And so Brian James, because he plays defense and because he's making his free throws, he's been out there to close out games as well. So, you know, there's been a lot, so much hype about him coming in, but you're seeing the slow progression of him getting better. And I think that's something you go, maybe, maybe that's something. And when he's on the floor, the ball does move more because it doesn't stick with him. He, He has his father's, you know, basketball IQ. He knows move the ball. Don't hold on to it. Don't let it get sticky. And now he's had a couple of bad turnovers himself and, you know, freshman mistakes. But overall, 
he's been outstanding in his time in the limited time that he's been on the court. You know, he's been outstanding in that game um, against Cal. He was plus 10 or USC was plus 10 with him on the court. And I think that was the only other person uh, better than that was Joshua Morgan was plus 14. So he had the second best plus or minus in that in his 18 minutes, Joshua Morgan had six more minutes. So, you know, when he's on the court, good things have happened for the most part. And, you know, he's been not necessarily spectacular, but he's been really good actually. And that's not the hype of a name. That's not anything else. This is we would be I would be way more excited about Bronny James if his name wasn't Bronny James because then there wouldn't be the hype. You'd just be like, wow, this freshman's come in and is just really playing great minutes off the bench. But everyone's got his eyeballs on him, so I can't be as hyped up about it <laughs> as as I would, uh, you know, if it's a three star guy doing everything he's doing. But he, he's been fantastic for him coming off the bench. So yeah, he's been really good. Um going back to the freshman or continuing with the freshman, another positive for me, Isaiah Collier. No turnovers. First game with no turnovers, career high, seven assists. I think this all goes back to moving the ball and also guys making some shots. They didn't shoot well in three-point range in the first half against Cal, but they made seven of 13 in the second half, so those all often help the assist um, the assist numbers there. But I, I just think when you don't turn the ball over, this offense can flow so much better. And like you talked about with the Oregon State, just unforced turnovers. Like just the ones where you what are you doing? Like on the bench, they're yelling that. What are you doing? Like, what are you even seeing on that play? Why are you trying to throw that? Why are you trying? And Isaiah Collier, I think, mentioned that I think in the post-game presser after either that game or the Cal game, is just like, you know, you can't make those freshman mistakes. Things you can get away with in high school, you can't do. And so just reining it in a little bit. And not trying to do too much. He didn't try to attack over and over and over in that game against Cal. But the offense still flowed. Now, at times they need him to do that. At times they need Boogie to just, you know, be a one-on-one guy and go get shots. But I thought the offense flowed so much better with Boogie scoring 15 and Isaiah Collier scoring 13 rather than Boogie scoring 22 and Isaiah Collier scoring 19. And taking those you know, those extra 10, 12 points or whatever it is away from other guys. Because USC ended up having five guys in double figures and seven guys overall with six points or more. Like when Evan Mobley was on the team, the 2020 team, it was if they get to three guys in double figures, they win. Tajidi was going to score in double figures. Evan Mobley was going to score in double figures. If they got a third person, and it could have been anyone, they were going to win. And that's what they needed because – but this team is not that way. It's not a two-man show, and if someone else shows up, they'll be good. I think they need to move the ball more. I think they need to be more complete of a team and less iso ball. And it works against Cal because Cal's not very good defensively as well, so they've got to do it against better defensive teams and you know to prove that they can do that. But it, it's, a, it's a good start, at least, against Cal. Definitely good springboard. You saw going all the way back to that Oklahoma game where Isaiah Collier gets the ball at the end of the game, falls <clears> down <throat> against Oregon State through the – inbounds pass to boogie out of bounds like the unforced turnovers haven't killing them didn't make any against cal step in the right direction two of my other triples here kobe johnson shooting the three again that was huge he made four threes which tied a career high against cal in the previous seven games had only made five seemed like he just totally lost his confidence there and that's a guy you need so him hitting threes again is a definite uh up and then I also had the turnover free game from Isaiah here in my notes. So uh, overlap on that one. On Kobe Johnson. So at the Auburn game. So Auburn is unique um, because Bruce Pearl previously coached at 
Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was there at the same time, I believe it was, as Kobe Johnson's parents because they're from that area. I think they uh, one of them played there, or both of them played there. I can't remember the full backstory, but they, you know, they had a full family meetup afterwards. Bruce Pearl with the Johnson family, so the whole Johnson family was there. His brother um, was able to come in, uh, Jalen come in from Atlanta. They had the day off, so he came in for the game. So the whole Johnson family was there. National TV, huge game, and Kobe. It was it was one of his worst games. He, he tried to do too much. He wasn't even doing the things he's good at. On the defensive end, he got in foul trouble a little bit. Like, everything just seemed to kind of snow snowball on him. And after the game, he's kind of standing with his brother, and it was kind of an area where the reporters and stuff were. And I could just see how hard he took it. And, I mean, that wasn't the first game of his funk, but you, I could feel it that, like, it had, the the confidence had been broken a little bit. So it was great to see him get it back last night. And getting back home does that at times, you know, when you're on the road and, you know, I thought at Oregon state, he hit the first one from the corner. I said, Oh, that's a good sign. And then the next three or four, he missed like at home. It just, he got a couple bounces last night. Like those things happen more at home for whatever reason. And it was great to see that happen. We'll see if he can carry it forward. So really good to see for him because he's such an important piece because he needs to do, he doesn't need to do too much. He needs to stop worrying about the draft, and that was probably the worst thing that could have happened to him this year is his name popping up on draft boards and stuff early because he can do a little bit of everything. And if he makes the shots, teams are going to want him in the NBA because he plays such good defense. But last night, it was the four threes. That was huge. That was the biggest part for sure. But 14 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and a block. Like He does a little bit of everything, and so if they can keep him on the court – not being in foul trouble because he's been reaching a little bit too much, just trying to you know trying to sneak steals and stuff and picking up fouls thirty feet from the basket, like those type of things. If he can calm those down, get him the minutes and get into that feel, so that when he does make a shot, you know then it turn he turns up his intensity on the defensive end. You know one thing leads to another, all that type of stuff. Um, I, I you know I noticed last game last night's game uh, against Cal was was called pretty loose, not a ton of fouls called in that game. And it really helped USC because they've gotten into foul trouble and it's like the rotations get thrown off and, you know, guys are up and down. And so, you know, that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Games where the whistle is tight versus games where the whistle is loose and, you know, how USC responds and can they make adjustments when the whistle is being called tight uh, to not get in foul trouble and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely Kobe was really good last night. And hopefully, like you said, a springboard for him Uh, also in that game, Boogie Ellis, I thought it was just an all-around terrific performance for him. You know, didn't try to do too much. Seven for 12, didn't shoot great from outside. It was just one of four and missed two free throws, front end of one of the free throws. So outside of those things, um, which are big, but the other, you know, outside of the two free throws in the last minute, the other 39 minutes of the game, I thought he was really good. Tied his career high with eight rebounds. Tied his career high with seven assists and also had two steals. He's plus eight in the game, you know, if they can get that type of effort, I mean, him snatching that rebound, that was fantastic. That is something that's been missing. And we see these little glimpses, and that's what is so frustrating about this team is you see, I think it was the second half of the Oregon game when they first came out. And I think it was DJ Robin, Oregon, Oregon State. DJ Robin comes out with so much energy and like dives on the floor and goes and grabs a rebound. And you're like, okay, they're going to feed off this. And he's the only one that does it. 
Like when a Boogie Ellis snatches that rebound, you see the bench hop up. They're excited. Can they get that full, that energy full throttle all the time? Like the, these guys feel like there's the governor on them, you know, the go-karts. You know, take the governor off the go-kart and go full throttle and then call for a sub. Like there's too many guys like, all right, I got to make sure that I have energy on both ends of the court. Like you're not spending any energy because you're not trying hard enough. Like that, there's been times when you see them and you're like, why is that guy not hustling after that? Why is he watching someone else do it? You want to see that balls to the wall mentality, and that's been missing at times. And you'll see one guy do it, and and that's it'll stand out. You're like, whoa, okay, that's different. And then you still have four other guys that aren't doing it necessarily. So, you know, would like to see that more often. I thought Boogie snatching that rebound was great to see him do that and him have the all-around performance that he had last night. Maybe that's a positive for him going forward because he's going to get his points. We know that. But can he do the other things to help the team win? Or is it really going to be big for, for USC? Well, how about his assist to Joshua Morgan on the dunk that pretty much put the game away? That was awesome. That was great point. Textbook USC offense. It's like, why can't they do that more often? Josh Morgan cutting to the hoop, Boogie Ellis with a beautiful pass, and then that, like I said, put the game out of reach. You mentioned the 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 balls to the wall stuff too. I think Bronny brings some of that too. Just that intensity mm-hmm. when when he d's up a guy. Obviously, every move that he has inside the Galen Center, people are going nuts. So when he does anything, people are going crazy. But just him trying really hard on defense that gets people excited. So. I think that's even more kind of extra juice for USC, him doing something big, but he brings that as well. So, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Want to get into the two doubles? Yep, well, two doubles, the two negatives. I mean, we probably could list a couple for USC men's after this stretch of five games, but uh, what's the two things that stood out to you most? Well, the first one has to be the the defense, and I felt like USC against Cal, they had a chance. They are up 17 in that second half. They probably should have won that game by 15 to 20 points. And then for whatever reason, whether it's a lapse in concentration or just poor execution, Cal gets back into that game. Boogie Ellis hit a three really late to put him up 10. And then Cal scores the next five points. They get a three. Boogie Ellis misses the front end of a one and one. And then they get a two. And just time and time again, you can really step on an opponent's throat with defense. And we just haven't seen that this year. The big statistic, too, that I wanted to highlight when we get to where they stand just defensively, I mean, the men – Right now, they're 264th in the country in scoring defense, giving up 74.7 points per game. That is, for all his flaws, that is not an Andy Enfield coach team. People are, are giving him a lot of crap, like I said, but he has shown that he is a better defensive coach than this team's been been showing so far. So that's my first one. And then the other one, just the road trip, being uncompetitive in both of those games, even though they got back into the game against Oregon, yet you play such a flat first half. I thought they would at least be more competitive in those two games and they just weren't. So that was a big warning sign to me too. Yeah. The no, the no defense is definitely one, um, you know, and as bad as their defense is, as I mentioned, you know, they're shooting pretty well as far as for the season, they're not shooting terrible 45%, you know, they're ranked 127th in the nation. So you can work with that for sure. Right. Cause they can get to the line with Boogie. I mean, with a uh, Boogie and with Isaiah Collier, they make some free throws, all that type of stuff. You know, they're attempting 21 free throws per game, so they can still win with that. But they're averaging 14 turnovers a game. That's almost the bottom 50 in the nation, almost. Like, it's way down there. And so 298 out of 351 teams. And there's so many of them. They're just unforced. Now, 
they need bigs to catch the ball. Like you can't every time you put the ball into a big's hands, it get fumbled. And then it either, hey, you might still end up with it, or suddenly it becomes a turnover. Like the bigs hat, like bring the jugs machine to practice. Like I'm on Ross St. Brown needs to come teach them up or something. I don't know. Drake London, is someone available? Drake London will be available. What is this last week of the NFL season? Drake London will be available after this weekend, guys. Like get him in. Former former USC basketball player is the perfect person to come in and bring the jugs machine with him for the bigs. Like catch the ball. That that's such a it's it's not a simple thing. I won't say that. But it is. It's such a simple thing. It's a, such a simple element that will change their entire offense because it's hard for those guards to throw that pick and roll with confidence. You know, that the pass that Boogie Ellis had was beautiful, but the lane was wide open. There's no one there. If there's a defender coming, do you think Boogie Ellis is confident that Joshua Morgan is going to catch that ball on the move, make a play, and still – no, he's not going to be confident in that because the bigs as a group have not shown – the ability to catch the ball in traffic, to not turn the ball over, to not then now it goes on my, you know, I passed the ball in the pick and roll. So now it's going to my turnover tally. I'll just not pass it to you. And then the bigs get frustrated. And then it like, it becomes this downward spiral. Like it, it's such a small thing, but such a huge thing that could open up this offense. If those guys can start catching the ball more consistently and not fumbling them because then you fumble it a little bit, and suddenly the defender's now there. You were open to begin with, and now they're there. So that even when you hold on to the ball, you've changed the play. And then the other times when you give the ball away, now it's a you know it's a it's a live ball turnover. The other team's going the other way. So that would be huge for them if they can get the they get Drake London. You know, I'll, you know, I'll see if I can put in some connections there. You know, we'll hit up Gavin Morris and tell him he's got to get Drake back out to the Galen Center to to help with the the jugs machine there. But yeah, that that's something that is been just killing USC. The turnovers and a lot of them have been live ball turnovers leading to points on the other end. So that that's the biggest one for me outside of the defense is that those two are kind of going together because when you turn the ball over, the other team's on the fast break, you get wide open looks, you're going to shoot the percentage better, you're going to get, you know, you're going to score more, all those type things when your defense can't get set. And even when their defense does get set, it's not been great. So that's a huge one. And yeah, the the road trip very disappointing. You know, that's definitely a big negative, just not being able to do anything else. And it makes you wonder what they're going to do the rest of the season on the road, you know, when they do play the rest of the Pac-12 schedule. Because they need to roll, they need to run off 10, 12 in a row to make a big push, uh, at least eight in a row. Well, if you win eight games in a row in the Pac-12, that means you've won four of them on the road because you're basically every other week you're going on the road. So we'll see if they can do that. You know, it's not uh, not very uh, – I don't believe in them very much after seeing what I saw on that road trip. Let's say after seeing two of those games in person myself and then watching those two. But like I said, Gil Coliseum is a house of horrors. They don't play really well at Oregon. Maybe that's just it. I don't know. We'll see if they turn some things around. Let's go over to the other side of Galen Center – the other hallway where the women's basketball locker rooms are, they are now eleven and one on the season. They fall slide down to number nine uh, after losing to number two UCLA. I thought it was a terrific game. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, Connor, as well. Uh, oh, but yeah. fantastic game, back and forth. And USC just killed themselves 
with those two early stretches in each half where they started, I think it was 0 for 9 and 1 for 10 in each of the two halves. So when you when you give away out of your you know your 63 field goal attempts that you shoot, you go two for 20 in you know two segments of it. That makes it that much more difficult for you to win a game. And they're still there, had a chance, uh, but couldn't rally there at the late to, to be able to get the win. I think they went the last five minutes or so without a field goal as well. You know, that's something else a little bit concerning. But what stood out to you over a three-game period for the women of Troy? Uh, what stood out? What's your three positives? What do you got on your triple? First of all, it was only three games, but they won the games that they should have won, and we've been giving them credit for doing that all season. They continue to do that even with some big losses in that Long Beach State game, like you talked about earlier, shotgun. So just wanted to start there. Unlike the men, they're taking care of business in the games they should be. And then in the UCLA game, even though the offense, like you hit on there, they had those cold stretches. I talked about it earlier, holding a really good team to 35% shooting, that's going to translate all season long. If you defend at a high level and you have Juju Watkins on your team, even if you're not getting the depth of scoring that maybe you would like, you're going to be in all these games and having a trend is, uh, a tr- <laughs> what am I trying to say? A, tr- a transcendent player in, in Juju Watkins, she can maybe get you a couple buckets at the end of the game and you play really good defense and you beat a team maybe you shouldn't have beaten. So that was my big takeaway from the UCLA game. Their defense, it, it was on the road. It was a tough environment and, and USC showed up. And then the last one, Mackenzie Forbes, I mean – we all were talking about the Ray and Juju show, and now I, I think you have to throw Mackenzie Forbes in that mix after what she's done the last couple of games for USC. 36 points against Long Beach State, getting named the Conference Player of the Week, and then she was really the only other Trojan who could do anything against UCLA, and she looked like Juju for a few moments in that one, scored 23 points. I, I felt like the two of them played well together for spurts, and if Mackenzie Forbes and Ray Marshall can kind of just – help Juju out every now and then when she's getting double teamed, that could go a long way. The depth I'm concerned about, but Mackenzie Forbes, it seemed like USC really gained someone who you could really believe in and could really give them a legitimate scoring option these past couple of weeks. And in this loaded, loaded Pac-12 field on the women's side, that's going to be huge. Yeah, I got Mackenzie on my uh, three positives as well. Playing like a former five-star that I believe she was ranked coming out of high school when she went to Cal, um, you know, was recruited by Lindsey Gottlieb at Cal, that whole saga, and then ends up at Harvard. And misses two years, COVID. Um, I can't remember the uh, if it was an injury or exactly what the other year was, but two years she didn't play basketball basically. So, you know, she has been back in the swing. I'm not saying she's she's shaking off rust or anything, but we saw what she was capable of. First in the Long Beach State game, taking over that game and willing USC to victory without Juju, without Rhea, without uh, Caitlin Davis in that one. So what was Fantastic to see her, and I said it at one point in one of those games that she's basically playing Robin to Juju Watkins' Batman, and that's a damn good Robin to put up, you know, what, 59 points in back-to-back games? So if your Robin's putting up 29 a game, I, I think you you feel pretty confident in what, what your team can accomplish. So really good to see that. Uh, now you do want to see a little bit more you know, from from some of the other players on the team too, stepping up in that UCLA game. But I think the UCLA game is a learning experience. You know, I think it was Mackenzie Forbes. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. One of the one of the girls that was in the post game press conference. I think it was Forbes talked about how aggressive UCLA was with defending their cuts. You know, bodying them up, being physical with them. That is something they have to learn from, and that's something that 
those Harvard, that grad trio will definitely be able to showcase to the other, the rest of their teammates. Like, look, this is what we got to get better from. You know, they have that experience. They know how to build from a first conference game to when you face teams later in the season, which USC will get their chance next week. I believe it is two weeks from now, actually, um, when they play UCLA again. But we'll see what they learn from the game and if this is truly a learning experience. But I thought it was a great opportunity going up a great, great opponent. UCLA really well coached. USC really well coached. And it was just a thrilling game. And USC had their opportunities to get in. And like I said, it came down to the fourth quarter, really. Neither team shot the ball really well in the fourth quarter, but UCLA having the lead was able to hold on. USC, if they make, you know, when you make three shots in the last five minutes, three shots in five minutes isn't something that's anywhere out of control. You know, Juju can make that in 30 seconds. She just done it a couple times. Hey, Penn State, how you doing? Um, but, you know, I, I think if, if that happens, it's a completely different game and not a, you know, tooth and nail, cross down showdown. And hopefully that's what we get in the next one because that's always really fun. But, you know, I think it's a learning experience and now they take something away from it and go, you know, get back to practice. When you play uh, UCLA, you know, you get extra practice leading up to it. Now what do you take away for it in this shorter week of practice this week when you uh, get ready for they play tomorrow uh, on Friday against uh, Oregon Oregon State, State, I believe it is. Yeah, Oregon State. So, you know, another undefeated team. Back-to-back undefeated opponents, you know, can you make some adjustments and play a little bit better? And the last one was that Long Beach State game, winning without Juju. I think that's really important for them to know. If Juju goes down, remember she goes out in that Ohio State game to open the season, and it kind of all fell apart because she had foul trouble, and Ohio State goes on a run. And then when Juju comes back in, okay, it's okay, Juju's back. But if she goes down, she's been banged up a couple times in the games. She was sick. She missed that game. She was sick the game before and, you know, went to the back to the uh, hallway a couple times, maybe to a trash can or whatever, um, dealing with the illness there and played through it. But if she gets banged up and has to leave a game and doesn't, isn't able to come back or she gets in foul trouble, the team now knows McKenzie Forbes can put us on their back if she needs to, but also we can win without her. It's not just the Juju show. And I'm sure they know that from practice and playing and team the the non-Juju team in five-on-five has won some games. I'm sure that's happened. But when you see it in action on the road, I think it really sets in, okay, we are, we're a dynamic team. We're not just Juju Watkins. So I think that was really big for them to see that. What about on the negative side? What do you have in your double for the, the USC women? The lack of scoring in that UCLA game from people not named Juju or McKenzie, that was big. I believe here, let me pull up the box score. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was only six points was the Ray Marshall point. had six. Yeah. Yeah. So just that's not going to get it done against the top five team on the road. So UCLA or excuse me, USC will learn from it and they'll be better for it. And then I don't know exactly what's going on with Ray Marshall, if it was an illness or some sort of injury that caused her to miss the previous game, but she just didn't look like herself in that UCLA game. A couple of spells where, the UCLA bigs just outperformed her a little bit. She was three of 11 from the field tied for the team lead with turnovers in this one, just a game where we know how talented UCLA is on the interior. It's one of their, their best uh, traits, this team and, and Ray Marshall was a big moment for her and she struggled in this game. I'm excited to see how she bounces back when USC hosts UCLA in a couple weeks. Yeah. Ray Marshall had missed the two previous games. Um, I believe it was in the illness. We were not, 
fully informed on that one, but you know, they did have a, it seemed like a stomach bug going through maybe the flu, um, which is kind of what happens December. It happens uh, for a lot of teams and you have to battle through those type of things. Um, but yeah, they need more out of Rhea in that game. Now she played pretty well in the defensive end against, um, against Lauren Betts, you know, Betts had 15 points was five eleven, but I thought when Rhea was on her one-on-one, she didn't do very much against her. Uh, Rhea had two blocks in the game, two steals, but she was negative 19 on the plus or minus when she was in the game. So she has to step it up a little bit. And I'm sure she will. And that's a, that's a tough matchup. Betts is what six foot six, six foot seven, somewhere in there. And Rhea Marshall, I think is listed at six foot four. So, you know, Tough when you're giving up that that size and and Betts is you know can knows how to use her body really well down low post up so it was a tough matchup but again learning experience how do you bounce back from it we'll see but I, you know you get a completely completely agree with you on the scoring outside of that Marshall had six the rest of the team outside of Juju Watkins and McKenzie Forbes had eight points and. No, they don't need everyone to score, but they need people to have five, six points. They need guys, they need people to sh- knock down some three pointers. Kayla Padilla was one of four in this game. Caitlin Davis missed the only one she shot. No one else even attempted them. So you know they they had open looks. Juju didn't shoot great in this game. She was two of six, but they, they were five of fifteen on three pointers. If they make two more, if they're seven of fifteen, you know 46 percent. It's a one point game. So someone else has to step up and make make some shots. And then my other negative is just, you know, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with this game? You know, with the, all the lead up to it now coming off of it. Really a negative so much as, you know, it's, it's a question is you had all this buildup going to this for three, four weeks because neither team had, you know, USC at least did not have, you know, a big opponent before that. So a ton of bleed up, sold out crowd. Amazing. That was awesome to see at Poly Pavilion. Hopefully the same thing at Galen Center in a couple weeks. How do you bounce back from it? You know, you didn't play your best. You got beat by uh, a better team on that day. Now, how do you bounce back? That'll be a real question for them going forward. And especially in the Pac-12 where you got Oregon State now undefeated, it doesn't get much easier, even though you're playing them at home, just night in and night out, it's going to be really challenging. And I totally agree with what you had to say there, Shotgun. And just for UCLA, I mean, I thought Charisma Osborne played really good defense yeah. on Sue Watkins. That was probably the best defense that she's faced this year. And then London Jones, she got hot from three at the end of the game, and USC didn't have anyone who could knock down shots. So UCLA, I thought, even though Osborne didn't shoot particularly well, those two guards for, for the Bruins played really well. And when – the game flips over to Galen Center in a couple of weeks. Can USC get a big time performance from some of their guards to offset what UCLA did in that first game? So I just wanted to shout out those two players for UCLA because they really impressed me. And Charisma Osborne, I remember her at Winward when I was covering high school sports. She's been really good. And I think going up against Juju Watkins when I believe they were former teammates at Winward, but Charisma is really good. And I would be surprised if she's like, Juju gets all this hype, but I'm really good too. And that probably motivated her. <laughs> That was cool to see. I'm interested to see how Juju bounces back. Seven of twenty-four in that game, um, and you wonder, hey, did she have her legs? You know, after missing time, having illness, um, because a couple of those shots early were, you know, pretty flat. You know, didn't seem, you know, were short. Hit the front rim a couple times, and then found her footing a little bit and just 
it, it wasn't her best shooting performance. And she still put in 27 points with 11 rebounds. She, I thought she was best when she was attacking the basket. Now, you got the bigs in there. You got Lauren Betts. She finished with five or six blocks in this game, a couple of them on Juju. But when she was attacking the basket and getting to the foul line, I thought that was when she was at her best uh, rather than settling for the jumpers. And, hey, when the jumpers aren't going in a game, can you make an adjustment and attack a little bit more? Uh, I thought she could have done that a little bit more in the second half. But I'm interested to see how she bounces back from it. This is her worst game, and she had 27-11. And she had a double-double, um, and you know, it was her worst game because she was inefficient scoring, but she still scored. She had three blocks. She had two steals. She played really good still, and it was her worst game. So, But how does she bounce back when there's all that buildup again, rivalry game, everything, and it's a rivalry game for the city? What is everything Juju's talked about and Lindsey Gottlieb's talked about with Juju Watkins staying at you, choosing USC? It's about putting on for her city, representing for her city. You lose the battle for the city. I'm interested to see how she bounces back. I think she might have a, a, a pretty big game against Oregon State uh, after, after uh, that one against UCLA. I could see that too. I wonder if she watches any film on Caitlin Clark. I, I should ask her because I, I feel like she's getting the Caitlin Clark treatment now that it's conference play. Like teams are throwing the kitchen sink at her, and we see Caitlin Clark hit that game winner the other night. She's sort of overcome all that defensive attention. And she, you know, she's not perfect. She doesn't play high level 10 out of 10 basketball every single possession, but she has been able to overcome all the defensive attention. And Juju Watkins is about to get all that defensive attention. I think she could definitely help herself out by watching just some of what Caitlin Clark does. And I'm excited to see it because I I do think Juju Watkins has the chance to be as good as Caitlin Clark. And um, I I do hope that they play at some point. Well, it might not be this year because it would probably have to be in the tournament, but maybe in the WNBA that they seem like the two big future stars to me in women's basketball. So hopefully that happens soon. We'll be interesting. We'll so we'll, we'll have to check in with her at some point this season to see if uh, if there is a connection there, or if you know they played on Team USA team or something, or whatever it may be, something like that. But we're going to jump into our break. Then we'll come back. We'll finish up our segments. Look forward to this week of action that's coming up, as well as the women's game that will be played later this afternoon or later this evening when you guys are listening to this uh, podcast on Friday. Uh, we'll be right back and look forward to those upcoming matchups. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, 
and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple-double or the basketball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed to us. Connor, we talked about both of these players, but we've got to jump into our Juice Juice segment. Juju Watkins is now averaging 26.8 points per game, 7.3 rebounds. Has been fantastic. Her assist to turnover ratio still, you know, hovering about one to one, a little bit less uh, on the the assist right now. Uh, four turnovers per game, so that's still a concern for. Her. But shooting forty six point nine percent from the field and forty five percent from three point land, and then Isaiah Collier on the men's side is averaging fourteen point nine points now, two and a half rebounds. Uh, he's you know, the assists are going up, and that's the big positive there. The four-and-a-half assists or so, um, you know, and the turnovers are going down. He's not averaging as much assist. I mean, he's not averaging more turnovers than assists as he was before our last podcast. So I think that is a positive. Those numbers are heading in the right direction. Turnovers down, assists up. We'll see if he can continue that as he goes forward. He's shooting 49% from the field but only 27.9% from three-point range right now and 67% from the free throw line. What caught your eye or your ear about Juju Watkins and or Isaiah Collier over the last couple weeks? Well, starting with Isaiah, I think it's always important to take a look at the NBA mock drafts, and ESPN does a really good job. They had him number one for a while in their most recent mock draft, which was January 2nd. He fell from one to eight, so people are evaluating him. They're seeing what he can do. His stock is falling a little bit, but I don't really envision him dropping outside the top 10. I think his traits are are just too good at what he can do offensively, especially. But I think part of the reason he's falling right now is because the decision-making, which got better against Cal, and then the three-point shooting. So if he can bounce back in these next few weeks, especially as USC, the competition gets a little tougher here and improve his three-point shooting and continue this trend of not turning the ball over as much. I think he has a chance to rebound, but I just thought that was interesting, always paying attention to that. And similar theme with Juju, just she's finally facing some adversity like Isaiah has this year. It took a little bit longer, but now that USC is playing some better opponents, not everyone's going to be as good as UCLA on defense, but it is going to get tougher for USC here than it has been against the Cal State Fullertons and some of those group of five schools. So I'm excited to see, like you said in the last segment, Shotgun, how she responds. I think both freshmen right now, early in the year, they sort of had it easy. Collier hit some adversity a little bit before Juju, but now Juju's hitting that as well. How are they going to battle back here after some stretches where it's been a little bit up and down? Yeah, definitely. And Collier sliding a little bit in those those mock drafts. You know, does he make some adjustments to his game or is that where he's going to land? And, you know, people are getting more eyes on him against better competition than he had in high school. So you're going to see the fluctuation as it goes. But I, I think there are definitely concerns about the shooting. And he went 0 for 5 last game, but had some open looks. It's not like the shot looks bad. It's just he's got to make some. So early in the season, he was making them. And I think that's part of it is confidence. And I think he can come out of that Cal game 
And even though he didn't shoot very well, you can have confidence coming out of that game because of the way he took care of the ball, the way he set up his teammates, and that will in turn lead to his, towards his shooting, I would think. So uh, I think that's the important thing there is to see how he bounces back from that. We talked about Juju and the different things there with her and you know to see how much the city means to her how she responds after losing the the battle for LA, the first iteration of it. And I'm curious to see, I mean, I'm curious to see how she does against Oregon state and Oregon, but then next week, you know, when she goes against UCLA again in the Galen center, she got something special cooking up or, you know, is it, is a, is a reiteration and UCLA is able to get her off her game with the physicality and stuff that they were able to do in that one. So looking forward to that one, but we'll talk about that next week. Next segment, stunting like my daddy, Bronny, has been at least the third best player on the team right now. I mean, as far as consistency, the last few games. So, you know, what stood out the the most uh, about him now that he's, uh, you know, getting consistent minutes and it, it seems like they've kind of found where he is in, um, in the rotation. What's been the most notable thing to you just about Bronny? He's taken more shots now. Mm-hmm. He's had some pull-ups that – I think when he first came back, he probably would have passed up, but he's clearly more comfortable, and that's been awesome. I was talking to some people in the media section last night, and that's just apparent. Like a few weeks ago, some of the pull-ups, he's just not taking those, and now he is, and a lot of the time they're going in. So that's been huge. I just think his athleticism, too, was on full display last night. That alley-oop from Isaiah Collier, he was in the air for a long time. I felt like he could have taken like a step and just – what he's able to do for his height is awesome. His bounce is real. And I don't think anyone had any doubts about that, but when a guy hasn't played in so long, you just wonder what's it all going to look like. And he really looks like he hasn't missed all this time. So I've been really impressed with him. He was a guy coming out of high school, Sierra Canyon. He was their best player. And as a high school kid, a lot of times he wasn't the best player on the court against some teams who had other high profile guys. And, Sierra Canyon, they had a lot of success when Bronny was an underclassman. When he got older, they weren't winning the championship like they were previously. And I just had some questions about him overall. But I think when he's not asked to be the main guy, that's sort of the perfect spot for him. And we're seeing him flourish right now. Yeah, he's not, I don't want to say role player in a negative way, but he's a great role player for them. Because he doesn't have to do too much. They're not asking him, hey, create the offense and set up everyone else. But he can get his own shot when he wants, you know, with a step back. He had the step back against uh, Oregon State. Uh, but I, I that, that was a great point about him taking some more shots. Last two games, he's had 17 attempts. The first four games, he had 15 combined. So, you, you know, I think he's feeling a little bit more confidence. And, you know, again, he's getting a little bit more minutes. So that plays into it as well. And he's only had six turnovers in his six games. I and mean, I think that's something that definitely stands out for any freshman can you take care of the ball? Any freshman guard, at least. So he's averaging seven and a half points. He's averaging 2.3 rebounds, almost two assists, a little bit over a steal. So, you know, just affecting the game. And that's what's really been the, the most notable thing to me is he's affecting the game. He's filling up multiple categories of the stat sheet, even when he's not playing starters minutes, even, you know, he's playing, you know, half a game. He's playing 15 to 20 minutes when your starter normally plays 30 to 35. So, you know, you're getting a third to a half of, you know, what you're expecting out of your starter. And 
if your starter gives you 15 points with five rebounds and three assists and two steals, you feel like you're getting a pretty good starter, right? That would be doubling up Bronny's numbers. So good to see there. And, you know, I think as he continues to progress, it'll be interesting to see how they, if they change the rotations at all, if it's just feel, you know, when it comes to whoever's shooting well, whether it be Boogie, Isaiah, Kobe Johnson, uh, him, or Ozias Sellers, like how do they deal with the surplus of guards? You know, you have four guys that you trust out there and maybe five with Ozaya at times, you know, how do you deal with that? Because that's always something that's tough for, for coaching staff. Let's move on to our where they stand. What we got for, for the women and men right now, where they stand as far as notable, where they're at in the rankings. Now that we got, we're into the net rankings, which is not a great thing for the men. Uh, we're in, we're in the top 25 rankings for the women, but also we have some conference records now. So where do we stand with those and any real big notable stats to come? For the women, number nine in the AP poll, 12th in the net. In the Pac-12, they're 0-1. So if you're an optimist, everyone's either 1-0 or 0-1. You'd say uh, if you're an optimist that they're in second. If you're not, you'd say that they're in last. Uh, so you can choose whatever you want to do there. And then with the stats, it, it's the same old. We, we go through it every week. The field goal percentage is good, 37th in the nation, 46.4%. They're doing really well shooting the three, 21st of the nation, 37.7%. And the bench points, it just hasn't been there. They're 269th in the country in bench points. As for the men, they are not ranked seven and seven. Net, they're 93rd. They're fourth at one and two in conference. But again, not a lot of games have been played. So there are seven teams ahead of them. So maybe they're not fourth. They're probably closer to eighth, I guess, would be the, the better way to describe that. And then the rebounding hasn't been that good, 200th in rebounding margin. And then defensively, I mentioned the stat earlier, 264th in scoring defense, giving up 74.7 points per game, and then 290th in turnovers per game with 14. So uh, like you said earlier, Shotgun, there are like, what, 351 Division One men's basketball teams. So there is some room to get worse for USC, but I like to think that there's nowhere to go but up for them. Th- those are some, uh, <laughs> some gaudy numbers right there. Let's look forward to the games coming up. USC men, we'll start actually with the women. Uh, USC women will play Friday, a little bit later if you're listening to this on Friday. If you've already missed it, then we're sorry that you didn't get a chance to hear our amazing preview coming up. Oregon State, 12-0, 1-0 in conference. They're undefeated. They're not ranked. They're the one team in the that's right outside the top 25 for the Pac-12 because they haven't really played anyone. Now they did play, you know, their their conference opener. They played Oregon. They trounced them by 21. We'll talk about Oregon in a second. They're not the uh, Sabrina teams anymore. So, uh, you know, Oregon State, led by Reagan Beers, she averages 19.6 points per game. What stands out about the Beavers, you know, and how big of a challenge is this for USC to bounce back, you know, from that UCLA loss going up against another undefeated team? It's definitely a challenge. Got to give credit to Oregon State, even though they have played that easy schedule. It's not easy to be undefeated when you've played 12 games, but it really comes down to slowing down Reagan Beers. She averages just under 20, like you said, and then no one else on the Beavers is over 10 points per game. They have a bunch of players at eight, nine points a game, so it's not like no one else can hurt you, but she's the one you got to pay attention to. She's the one who had that big year last season. She'll be on Lindsay Gottlieb's mind, the team's mind. She's the person you have to slow down. And 
like you said, Chuck, in this whole show, we've talked about with the women, how do they bounce back? It starts with Oregon State. I, I think it's a chance for the women to show, hey, we're one of the best teams in this conference. And Oregon State, nice story, 12-0, and 0, but we're USC. We have bigger goals here. I, I think they'll take care of business, but it's not, it's not going to be an easy game. It'll show me a lot if they do, and I expect them to. Yeah, she was a Pac-12 freshman of the year last year. I think also the sixth player of the year. Um, you know, she – what are her stats from last year? 13.3 and 8.6. This year she's up to 19.6 and nearly 12 rebounds per game. She's got she's a wide shoulder, uh, down low, six foot four. She knows how to get position. She knows how to throw her body around to, to be able to create space down there. So it's a tough matchup. Biggest thing, though, you can do is keep the ball out of her hands. Make someone else beat you. Uh, so we'll see if they can do that. Oregon, USC will again face another, you know, big center. They, they'll take on Filipini, Filipina, uh, Kai, I believe I'm saying it correctly, from, you know, a, a Canadian, six foot eight. She is averaging, you know, a little bit over 12 points per game, but also nearly 12 rebounds a game. So she's a double-double machine, another big body. That's, that's going to be a consistent theme in the Pac-12. Is you know you played some of these other teams and you know even the Penn States and the Ohio States like they didn't like none of those teams watching them didn't have the six foot six to six foot eight wide shouldered girl that's going to move you with her body as much you know as more athleticism and you know smaller thinner posts than you know what they're going to see in the Pac-12 when you face Alyssa Peely and you face you know the, these type of bigs so you know USC doesn't necessarily have that same body type on their roster to bang down low so they need Clarice Akamwafu at six foot four they need or uh, six foot five six foot six and Ray Marshall at six foot four to use their athleticism and front the post a little bit more and have that backside help that was something against Lauren Betts where it was interesting to see how they were going to kind of defend her. And at times they tried to front the post and at times they didn't. Uh, we'll be interested to see how they do against uh, you know, Oregon state and Oregon against their bigs on that one. But that's not all Oregon is. They're also led, they're led in scoring by Grace Van Sluten, 16.1 points per game, but they're nine and five on the season. Like I said, they got, they got beat up by the Beavers. They're 0 and one to start the pac 12. That'll be the game. That game will be Sunday at noon. Be both of those games will be on Pac-12 LA. So if you don't get the Pac-12 networks, there's a live stream I believe you'll be able to get. So might as well come out to the Galen Center. There's a T-shirt giveaway for the first thousand fans. So you might as well go and enjoy. And USC should be able to beat the Ducks, but not going to be necessarily a cakewalk. What stands out about the Ducks to you in that matchup for USC? Well, big opportunity for Ray Marshall. You mentioned some of the size there, and she, like we said, didn't play that well against UCLA. So against some better opponents here players who are just taller, how do you bounce back? How do you perform? Ray Marshall, I'm looking at her. I hope that whatever was bothering her before the UCLA game is all in the past now. She's 100%, and she'll be able to put on a good display. I think she's probably – I mean, Juju is always the player people will watch the closest, but I'm going to be really, really looking at Ray Marshall, how she bounces back. You're a journalist. You don't have to look at what everybody else looks at, Connor. Come on. <laughs> Let's move over to the men's side. USC will take on Stanford Saturday at 1 p.m. Is, what do you what 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 is it when you win two games in a row? Uh, it's been so long for USC, I forget. <laughs> winning streak, I, I believe that's called a winning streak. We'll see if USC can get a winning streak going. Stanford is seven and six on the season, but that's deceiving. They're two and one in conference play. They've been playing much better in conference play. They're an interesting team. You know, they've 
they played tough against high-profile teams. They had a close loss against Arkansas-ranked team. They had a close loss against Michigan. They upset Arizona last week. They also lost by 22 to Northern Iowa. They gave the game away against Arizona State last week. So, interesting team. You know, they coming into the season, it was expected they'll be able to shoot the lights out of the ball. They've got some big-time shooters, and it seems like they've starting to have, awoke, have woken up a little bit. Against Arizona, they were lights out, and that was how they won that game. I think they put up 100 against Arizona. Arizona's not playing great defense, but you give them open shots, they're going to knock them down. They're, they're shooting 37% from, from deep. That's 55th in the country. But if they continue to shoot the way they had the last couple of games, that's going to continue to rise. So big concerns there. What stands out to you about the Cardinal and that matchup for USC? Well, it just reminds me of a lot of USC football games this season. The opponent is beatable, but I don't know if USC is the team that can beat them. <laughs> that makes sense. So I, I just think right now, Stanford, like you said, they're playing really good basketball. They want a rock fight against UCLA. And I don't think that the USC game will be a rock fight. USC sort of, it's a little bit different. They don't play the defense that UCLA does, but they can score at a much easier margin. So maybe does that help USC in a game like Stanford won the defensive showdown. Can they win this this offensive showdown? You'd, you'd think on paper, just based on how they shoot the three. Uh, but that remains to be seen. They're certainly beatable. You can't let them get red hot. USC, they've not done a good job defending the three this year, so I'm not really confident that the Trojans will beat them. But with six losses on the year, like I just think it's a big game shotgun. Are you in the middle of the Pac-12, or are you going to make a push here? And try to get back into play because I, I I just think eventually the wins have to start coming and Stanford, that's a team you got to beat. If you want to make the NCAA tournament, it's January 4th might seem early to be talking about that, but USC, they just haven't been good enough. And this is a big opportunity for them. It's not an Arizona. It's not a Colorado. It's it's not an Oregon. This is, this is a Stanford team that is in the middle of the pack. And while they're playing better basketball, I, I feel like the season's kind of on the line a little bit. Is that crazy to say? I don't think it's crazy to say, uh, you know, this, this Stanford team is one where their fans kind of want to fire their coach. So <laughs> those are teams you have to beat. If the fans want to fire the coach, then you, you need to beat them. Uh, you know, they share the ball really well. They're averaging 17.8 assists per game, top 20 in the nation. Jared Bynum, their point guard, is number 10 in the nation with six, or six and a half per game. So I think it actually comes down. They don't play great defense either. There's, you know, it's very similar to the team we saw that USC can be against Cal and what Stanford has shown. So I think it can be if USC sharing the ball, it might be who shares the ball best and who plays the best defense. You know, both teams giving up, you know, I think uh, Stanford's not quite as bad as USC as far as their scoring defense, but they're giving up almost 74 points a game. So expect there to be, you know, a lot of open shots. And whoever makes some shots will be the winner. And whoever shares the ball well to get those open shots could be the winner in that one. So, uh, but yeah, big game for USC. Can you get some momentum going forward? Because their next game after that, and we may or may not have a podcast before this game, is on Wednesday against Washington State next week. Washington State's 0-2 in conference play. They're 9-4. and They've lost three of their last four. They'll play Oregon State on Saturday, so their record will change there. But they started 8-1, and so... Not going great for them. A ton of new faces. Like Literally, I don't recognize anyone except for Andre Yakimovsky off their roster. The only player I recognize their name of from last season. Maybe Jay Mullins. That sounds familiar, but can't picture a face. DJ Robbins on USC's side, so USC should be able to beat Washington State. Let's just put it that way. And if they can win the Stanford game, uh uh-oh, they're building. 
a little momentum. That'd be three games in a row potentially that they could win. And then you take it into, you know, playing. I think they go to Colorado after that. It's a weird week. It's the the only week of the season where you don't play, you know, your travel partner um, schedule, like has been the case for the Pac-12 for forever. They'll play at home against Washington State and then go on the road on the weekend, which is why they're playing on Wednesday next week. So can you build a little momentum before another road game? Can you take it? Can you take care of business in your house? It's always that's always kind of the saying in conference play is win at home and split on the road. That's been the, the saying in the Pac-12 because of the the pairings that you have. Win at home, split on the road. Can you take care of business against teams that you have to if you want to have any chance? So I think while season may not be on the line, it, you might be right. The next two games, at least, I, I think you know this three game set. Like if you don't take care of business, it's over. And that's that's scary because of how talented the team is if they could play together. And then just look at the games after that. You mentioned at Colorado, they're, of course, one of the best teams in the conference. And then it's at Arizona, at Arizona State, which they've been up and down, but beating the Sun Devils on the road won't be easy. Then you host UCLA, like Oregon after that. It, it, it just doesn't really get much easier. The easy games are right now. Can't take care of business in these next few games. Might be a long, long season shotgun. Yeah, it's probably going to be over if that's the case. And you just hope that suddenly something comes together in the Pac-12 tournament and they have that saving grace um, to be there. But, yeah, I think Saturday is huge. Next Wednesday is huge because – and then maybe you can steal one from Colorado or Arizona. That That's your hope. You're building some momentum and you play well in those games and you, st- you get one or two and then you beat Arizona State. That game, The Arizona State game we already know right now – will be a two-point game in the final minute. We already know that because every time USC and Arizona State play, that's the case. Other than I think it was last year or two years ago, there was one game where USC played Arizona State and blew them out, and it was like, this is weird. This doesn't feel right. This Andy Enfield and Bobby Hurley need to like summon the basketball gods back. Something happened. This isn't right. This should this should be a one possession game with 30 seconds left or whatever. Um, so we know that one will be close. Can USC stay in the games against Colorado and Arizona and prove that they, you know, are that team that was picked to finish second in the Pac-12 this season? We'll find out. But first, they got to take care of business. So we'll see. Uh, Connor, any other thoughts on this three-week stretch that we've gone through where we weren't able to to get together and, and talk about the Trojans and the women of Troy and where they are standing right now? Any other thoughts? I think we've covered most of it, Shotgun, over this uh, hour-plus podcast. Just the men have, have been disappointing. And Andy Enfield, after the game against Cal the other night, he did seem kind of like, you know, ah, screw it. I, I don't know what's going to work. Like, we can't turn the ball over, and we need defense. And if you're not playing, like, it, it seemed like he was kind of at his wit's end and, like, sort of maybe they'd hit rock bottom, and this was the start of bouncing back. But I, I'll believe it when I see it. And then for the women, just keep doing what they're doing. They got to – they got a good situation going. I'm so excited for next season because of that recruiting class. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, of course, because this season has a chance to be really special too. Just need more depth. Can they get another score? Maybe in the next few weeks, something develops there and Juju gets some more help along with Mackenzie Forbes uh, and Ray Marshall. So those are probably the two biggest storylines I'll be looking for. 
don't be skipping ahead to next season with this women of Troy team. <laughs> There's the Pac-12 is amazing this season. There's gonna be so many good games in it that we're gonna get a chance to talk about. So we're looking forward to that going forward. But that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. Please help us out by liking, sharing, subscribing, and leaving us a review on your podcast listening platform. We also welcome your feedback, comments, or questions at podcast at uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, for my co-host, Connor Morissette. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for taking the time out of your day. We appreciate you, and we hope that you will join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast.